you can save the money pretty easily, but it's more like, who do you invest it with? There are so many groups that all look and sound similar that advertise good deals and have say they have a good track record, but it's really about finding the sponsor that you can relate to and you can trust. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing really good. We've taken the last week to take a little bit of a breather and it's been so nice. We're heading into our fifth year. So we just hit our full fourth year, heading into our fifth year of running Good Egg Investments and man, a lot of work, a lot of growth, a lot of scale and all of that. And it's just been nice to take a little bit of a breather. So I know you were also out. I remember when I first was telling people that I was going to quit my job to start a business. And I was like, I'd never done it before. So obviously I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to have all this free time. Well, grab lunch. I'll have more time. (laughs) And then very quickly you learn that a business, especially a fledgling business needs a lot. And in those early days, especially you and I were working our tails off. It was a constant, it was like having an infant constantly needing more attention, more, more, more. And I think now we're at the four-year mark going into the fifth year, as you mentioned, I think we're finally at a point where we're like, okay, okay. It can kind of breathe on its own. We can kind of leave it for a week and it'll still be there. It'll still be alive and kicking. And we've got this amazing team behind us, but yeah. I think it's so funny because I think it was kind of like, if you think about it like this, like in the early days, you were the mom like you gave birth, right? (laughs) To Good Egg. (laughs) Brought me on as a co-founder and I helped out here and there with like night feedings. But in the first year you were just rocking and rolling. And I was like, I'll help out. I'll change a diaper or two. I'll do some night feedings. And then now I'm like the dad with the toddlers. Like you're like, yeah, yeah, I gave birth. Yeah. <laughs> like I did all the night feedings. So now you go run with the toddlers and I'm gonna go not doing uh, it. But in the isn't that funny how it's kind of like yeah, it's like now I gave birth to them. So you go now. Yeah. So you go <laughs> But yeah, it's so funny. But yeah, no, it's funny how these businesses turn into something else. So any entrepreneurs out there, and I know there are many of you who are considering either jumping into real estate full-time or some kind of entrepreneurial lifestyle, know that there is a phase in the early days where you really got to put in the work. And it's always helpful if you have a partner who's willing to help somewhere along the way, as Annie and I have had. So yeah, so... Well, I remember in those early, early, early days, one of the first conversations you had was with our guest today, Dr. John Zhao. And he was one of our very first investors way back in the day. And so we're so excited to have him on the show today to really talk about his journey. And he talks about how he decided to go down this medical school path. He found his passion for becoming a physician and anesthesiologist 
psychologist. And when he came out the other side, he had $200,000 in debt, uh, which is unfortunately the story for so many people these days. And so he talks about how he then came through the other side and discovered real estate, first through a rental property that didn't quite go the way that he expected, but then through that and because of that, then he discovered passive investing, which is where he then found us. And I remember you having those conversations with him early on. And in those early days, it was all about those one-on-one conversations and really getting to know people, building that trust both ways, him trusting us and us trusting him. And so, yeah, he talks about all that and so much more on this conversation today. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I'm always curious, I guess you could say, about what the real intentions are of our government and intentionally leaving out the discussion around finance and money all the way up till, I mean, it's never a conversation. And he had brought that up that as physicians, that's not something that they're supposed to talk about. And money in general, most people don't feel comfortable talking about how much money they make or investing and things like that, I think has definitely changed in the more recent years. But he had talked about how the only thing that they talk about in regards to finances is consistency consolidating their loans. Like that's their <laughs> strategy. Like, oh my God. Like, And so he had looked into different ways how he could maximize his retirement. But he said, even after doing that, he said he still needed to find some other way to generate wealth. And as a physician, high income earner, which is the worst, as he had said in the show, because you're basically taxed at the highest possible tax bracket. So the more money you make, the more taxes you have to pay. And I think I realized that along my journey, as well was when I would talk with financial advisors, they were always advising me to save for a day 35 years from now that may never come. That's the reality of it. No one talks about it, but the reality is it's a day that may never come for you. And so we talked about in the show, this idea of really wanting to live for today. I'm in my thirties and my forties. Like I want to live now while I'm healthy and my kids are young, my family's around. Like when that's totally it, like for me as well. And it's about finding that balance between getting Getting up every day and having a job as we do when we're doing adulting type stuff, but then having the balance of being able to spend time and travel. And it's so cool because at the end of the show, we talk about this epic trip that he's going to be doing. And wow, like this is why you and I get up every day and do this is for these kinds of stories. Not to say that he wouldn't have done this without passive investing, but we all know in the passive investing community, it definitely contributes to this idea of like, hey, let's go take off for a month because we can now. So it was just a fun episode getting the chance to chat with him today on the show. So. Indeed. And for all of our listeners, you'll hear this point in the conversation where John talks about how he really made that transition from rental properties into syndications and how it took him quite a bit of time. It took him two to three years to really find a group that he could trust, that he jived with, and that was in line with his own values and life perspective. And so if you are sort of somewhere on that journey where you're trying to discover what syndications are all about, whether they're right for you. We've got a great resource for you, whether you decide to invest with us or not, but it is our book. It is called Investing for Good, and it'll give you a great 360 degree view about what syndications are all about, what the process is, what the risks are, the tax benefits, all the good stuff. And so we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. 
All right, with that, let's dive into our conversation with Dr. John Zhao. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Good. Well, we are thrilled to have this opportunity today to dig in with you on your story and the impact that real estate has had on your life. So start by telling us a little bit about your background and how real estate came to be part of your journey in the first place. Great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I've been listening to you guys and learning about Good Egg for probably three or four years now. And for me, I'm in the medical field. I'm an anesthesiologist. And as you may know, the journey is very long. We're usually early to mid-30s before you actually have a real attending job out of training. So when I finished my training program, I knew that my net worth was about negative, close to negative $200,000, which is the average debt that students in U.S. medical school have come out of training at age 32, 33 years old. So I knew that I was way behind the ball in terms of saving it for retirement compared to some of my colleagues from college that got a job at 22 and just worked and accumulated wealth throughout. So besides, I looked at how we can maximize retirement and put all the pre-tax and post-tax savings. But even after maxing all those, I realized I needed another way to generate wealth that was going to be steady and also beneficial tax-wise. As you know, a high earning W-2 job is the worst way to make money because we're taxed at a very high marginal rate, especially in California. That's how I looked into options for real estate. Did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? Kind of. I mean, so I was influenced because my father and my mother's side, they were all family physicians. So I kind of knew going into college that was an interest and it was a good career and then they liked what they did. And I went to Penn undergrad. I think you went there too, right, Annie? Uh, I did. I did. And there was a lot of people in finance and engineering. So, oh, yeah. uh, but I feel like I still like the clinical side of medicine. So, and I applied for medical school. I really had a met a great crew of people there, and it met my passions and you know what I wanted to do in life. Yeah, and to go into the field of anesthesiology, especially, that's a long path. So, right, as I understand it, right, you went to medical school, but it doesn't stop there, right? Because how long is the residency? It's four years plus one year of fellowship that I did fellowship, in pain yeah. medicine. So it's Oof, five years. Yeah. And that's about, that's about a little bit longer than average, but sometimes people want to be a neurosurgeon, they take you know, nine years or eight, eight years or so. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. So it sounds like you had a very strong why. Like you found this passion and you had the family background as well. And you had this, you developed your own passion for the clinical side of things. And then that carried you through this path and where you met a lot of great people, it sounds like. But along the way, it sounds like you probably also had friends from Wharton and with finance and whatnot, who graduated at 22, got a management consulting job and started right away with the six-figure salaries. Whereas you went down this path where you accumulated more student debt as you went to medical school and residency and fellowship. And so tell us then, so you alluded to it somewhat. So you then in your thirties, right, you made it through this path and then you got to the other side, you got, you saw the light at the other side, you'd finally made it. Unfortunately, you were saddled with all this debt and you're starting to learn about how to get out of that, right? And I think a lot of physicians actually 
um, as I understand it, they don't spend as much time on the finances, right? They're like, okay, I'm just focused on my craft. I want to focus on this. Where did you start when you first started learning about all of this? How did you find the time and where did you turn to find some of these resources? Yeah, that's a great point because I think in medical school, I mean, versus your people in law school or business school, money is part of the craft and what you talk about. In medicine, they don't focus on it at all. The only lecture we had about finance was how to consolidate your student loans at the end of medical school. And it was almost frowned upon, and it still is in a lot of in the medical field to talk about money because people say you're supposed to do it for the clinical side and take care of patients, but it's a real fact that you still have to manage your finances and figure out what to do afterwards. So people like the White Coat Investor, that's like a website I've read since I was in medical school and really just talking to my seniors or my uh, faculty about how they're managing their money and what they do and different hobbies that they have for investing. And I try to teach that to my the medical students that we have or the residents, even other junior faculty that come on board about basic things about managing debt or your finances and other ways to invest besides a uh, 401k. And I think that's one area of medicine that's really, hopefully the culture can change where people can approach it without shame. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a pervasive cultural thing within the medical community. So you start talking to people you know, trying different things outside of the traditional 401k and other investing strategies. And it sounds like at some point you unearthed real estate as a path. But as we know, there's so many ways to invest in real estate. So where did you start? Did you just jump in right away? with getting a rental property? Did you house hack? How did you eventually come to passive investing? Before you answer that, John, I just want to put in there, because I know you mentioned that you had $200,000 in debt. And I know some people, when they get into or think about getting into real estate, they're like, I don't have the money. Tell us about how you stumbled upon real estate, but then how did you get yourself out of debt, I assume, first? Or if anybody's listening and they're like, I'm $200,000 in debt and I want to do this and invest in real estate... But what are the steps even before you get there and invest and you have all this debt? How did you handle, how did you tackle that before you move forward and even decided to think about investing or did it all happen together? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, well, the student loan debt that the federal government charges an interest of 6.8% and the interest, it adds on to the principal every also year or so. (laughs) Yeah. So what I did was I, I, there's this program called Public Server Loan Forgiveness, where if you work 120 payments at a 503C a nonprofit institution, they, they can forgive your debt. Okay. So that, that was the path I led. But I know a lot of people, you can reconsolidate the debt into lower interest rate with private companies. But for me, I realized that you use post-tax money to pay off that, that much money in debt will take years. And for me, I knew investing besides retirement and also other ways of income was a, more of a priority for me just because of the tax advantages. And I knew that the debt for me, at least for being in a public institution, was eventually going to be forgiven, which it was forgiven in November of last year. Wow, that's a huge <laughs> milestone. Congratulations. Oh yeah. yeah. But I mean, in terms of real estate, I became an accidental landlord in medical school where we knew nothing about real estate. And it was 2007. I looked around the condos in Philadelphia 
around the Chinatown area and uh, the realtor there would just say, oh, it's going to go up 40% every year. You can pay off your medical student loans, your tuition just by buying a place. I got a place for 330. Then 2009, 2010 happened. <laughs> and then we sold it for 10 years later for $200,000. <laughs> oh, down from 335. But I think rather than being scared away from real estate forever, I used it to really learn about it and different market cycles and how a mortgage works. And I think when I got that property that my parents put the down payment for, I really didn't know anything. I was just some young medical student who was pretty naive and listened to what everyone else was saying on the street, which is basically, you know, the market's going up a third every year you can't lose just by buying. <laughs> so I think my main lesson from that was good mistake in a way because it taught me to be more careful and vetting deals for real estate. But also when I listen to different podcasts and read different books, the people that are wealthy in, in this country are not the ones that have a W-2 job. They're the ones that own property and own real estate. That was kind of my first lesson. <laughs> yeah. And that you mentioned it was a condo. Is that right? Did you live there as well? Or did you house hack it? Or was it purely a rental? I lived there. Okay. So you lived there and then you rented out the extra bedrooms or was it multiple units? Well, I lived there as a two bedroom, one bathroom. And me and my partner back then, we lived there. And then after I moved out of Philadelphia, the value still never got up to even close to where it was. And we tried to rent it. But the rental market in Philadelphia was not too high. You can only maybe rent it for $1,700 for a $330,000 condo. So it didn't quite cover the mortgage payment even. And I also learned a lesson to never invest in a condo with an HOA with fees because the roof would leak and the elevator would break. And then they would add these things called supplemental fees where we need $150,000 next year from all the units pulled and it depends on how big your unit was. So if you have a larger unit, you got to pay more. <laughs> so if, for at least two of those years, we pay double the normal HOA payment to cover these capital expenditures that you have no control over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I had both of our first <clears throat> early properties were also had HOAs. One of them was fine. I think part of that, if you are going to buy a condo that has an HOA is to see if there's an opportunity for you to sit on the board of the HOA so that you can have some level of control over what they're doing and some insight on how they're spending the money. Also looking backwards at like how often have the HOA rates risen year over year before you buy <laughs> is something to think a good question to ask. But between those two things, if anyone's out there considering a condo with an HOA, you should be kind of okay, I guess. But yeah, it was terrible. Then the other condo we had, it was just like that. Like there was no pool or anything. And the HOA was like, creeping up by the time we left to like $500 a month. And there, it was a small, like 10 unit condo. We bought one of the condos in there and the HOA was $500 for what I don't know. We had a parking, like underground parking thing. There was a gated gate. So that was an expense to pay for that <laughs> that broke down, but there was no like gym or anything like that. We couldn't figure out what was going on. Anyway, we luckily we sold it and got out of that at a good time, but I'm curious. So we ended up selling it in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, like basically yeah. 10 years later. Okay. You knew you were going to sell it for a loss, basically, or, or less than you had paid for it. I don't know. I guess, was it that like you thought, oh, it'll never recover? 
Or it's basically, did it become what they call an alligator where you're like having to feed it every month? <laughs> Is that what happened? Or how did you make that decision and not instead of just saying, you know what, I'm just going to hang on until it is paid off or, or whatever. How did you make that decision? The condo fee was up to like over $700 at that point. Our rental was not covering the mortgage plus the condo fee plus the insurance. And yeah. that's just the rental market in Philadelphia at that point. And the overall market was not increasing around that area. Yeah. And also I had a horrible experience with, I had a property manager, but I had a horrible experience with a tenant that I falsified the W-2. But the income wasn't really upset that she made over a you know, hundred some thousand dollars, but a couple months into the lease, she had problems paying the rent. Yeah. So it first started beginning, you know, she would pay the full rent, but a couple of days late. And then a couple of months later, it would be half the rent and then yeah. pay the other half later, two weeks later. And then we have to constantly hound this person to pay the rent. Uh-huh. I realized that was the money wasn't as big an issue, but it was just a huge mind sink or like, you know, a burden in my mind that's always in the back of your mind that going for a bike ride, then I have to, <laughs> it's yeah. like I try to get those negative thought outside of my mind, but it's hard to do that when, you know, someone's basically not paying the rent that they said they would and basically is lying to you and things like that. So yeah. we had to threaten to evict her and luckily she moved out. We took the security deposit, but we did lose a month's rent. And after that, I decided, yeah, one unit rental, the downsides are too much for the upside. I mean, compared to the upside of paying down the principal, which would have taken you know, another 15 years. Right, 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 right. Yeah. We'll get back to our conversation with John in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, 
back to our chat with Dr. John Zhao. So then tell us about how you came into doing syndications and why that made sense. I mean, I know why that makes sense because this is like my story too. I'm like buying all these out-of-state rental properties for $200 a month. I'm like, this is just too much. Like, it's not even about the money. It was like the mind, the weight on the mind of like, I'm going through it right now. Like we're evicting this person or like this person's not paying their rent or same thing. They, oh, they overpaid for three months and then come three months. Now they're not going to pay for another three months. And then we're going to go through the almost, it's a nightmare. And Annie is now free of all of that because she has transitioned yeah. 100% <laughs> over or sold not all my rentals. But did you sell all of them or do you still have some? I sold all of them. No, so I sold all of them. She's living the life. So she knows the reason why. But for anybody out there who might be thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's safe. I feel safe just doing a single family home or a duplex or some smaller multi. How did you like transition away from that? Did you buy any more rental properties after that? Or did you move straight to syndications? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I looked into other ways to invest in real estate. I looked at a lot of single family homes or in turnkey. I talked to a couple of different companies that, you know, like Memphis investor or just people that manage a lot of units. They, they rehab the unit for you, they sell it to you. But then I looked at the actual numbers that like with the thing where you were saying, Julie, you make hundred to $200 cash flow, assuming the tenant doesn't leave because once they leave, you'll pay a month uh, lease up fee, which takes out an entire almost half years of cash flow right there, assuming that there's zero vacancy. So if you add a month of vacancy that's and the lease of fee, that's two months of rent income that's gone. That's basically a year's cash flow completely gone. So I realized that to make money from single family homes, you need to have more than one unit. You have you need to leverage you need to get like you know five units. Mm-hmm. But to do that, if you put 20% down on a $200,000 home, that's about $50,000 each. You need like hundreds of thousands of dollars cash pretty quickly to do that. So then I looked into uh, other ways and I read a little bit about syndications. I, know I was honestly two to three years before I actually did my first investment, you know, like with you guys, like three or four years ago. But before that, I've been just looking at it and going on different sites like, you know, Realty Mogul or just other crowdfunding sites that have similar deals. But the issue with those is that every single deal looks the same after a while. And when they're asking for, you can invest for as low as like $1,000, $2,000. I'm wondering why are these sponsors, you have to go on the crowdfunding website to get like $40,000 or $50,000, right? Yeah. So tell us about, you spent two to three years. It's a long time. Analysis prowess. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that because I think there might be people out there who are like, you don't want to go the opposite way. I always say, which is you don't want to go out there and like tomorrow invest with somebody. You definitely want to do your work, but two to three years is a little bit longer of a time frame. I guess the lessons that you learned, maybe what would you have done differently? Do you think that was the right amount of time? Should somebody take two, three years to analyze and decide to invest or based on your experience now, how would you done it? have done it differently, if at all? Yeah. If I knew what I know now back then, I probably would invest earlier and not yeah. wait as long. Yeah. But I think the hardest part was, you know, it's, you can save the money pretty easily, but it's more like, who do you invest it with? Uh, there are so many groups, they all look and sound similar that advertise good deals and have say they have a good track record, but it's really about finding the sponsor that you can relate to and you can trust because for most of people in medicine or just people that are going to real estate, we don't want to get scammed. And you always you know, read about the Bernie Madoff situation with things like that. So a lot of it is 
finding a group that you trust that the goals are aligned with yours versus just saying, oh, give us the money. We're going to give you 10% back every year. and You can't lose the money. I think that that was, that was the hardest part, not so much finding the deal because there's so many deals that say class B multifamily, you're going to make this much money. Yeah. So I think I've solved the name Good Egg Investment. I, I think in a real estate Facebook group, it might've been a physician one. <laughs> and so I remember signing up for the, I think back then it was just YouTube running, running everything. And I remember I, I just called you, Julie, I think over the phone while I was outside the surgery center for like <laughs> half an hour one day, <laughs> just to ask a lot of frank questions. And I think I decided like, I really, you guys seem really trustworthy and the deals are conservatively written. That's how I made the first investment. And then I didn't do anything, not anything else for at least six months just to see how things go. And then we proceeded more afterwards, but it's still pretty scary to just wire a large sum of money on the internet to That's some people. And, and then there's random address with a PO box. So yeah. that was probably the scariest part at first and not knowing when you're going to get it back. Right? Or if you're going to uh, get it back. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're going to get it back. I think I've done like eight syndication investments already in the last three, four years. And two of them have already exited it and gone through 1031 exchanges for the next property. So I think that's the key is that you can really have this cycle where you can make gains, but not pay the capital gains and taxes on it. And I tell people just save money to do syndications versus the I-bonds. Because even if the I-bonds are nine, 10% interest rate, it's based on your marginal income, right? So if you make relatively high W-2 income, you make $1,000 off of a $10,000 investment, you're going to pay half of it in taxes back. Right. It's only basically a 5% gain yeah. and your money's completely tied up and you can't do anything with it, right? Yeah. I guess to your point, it's taxed as like ordinary income is what it is too, right? Whereas when you invest in syndications and real estate, you get the tax advantages. Everybody's tax situation is different and how you take advantage of that. But but still, that's what I love about it. Just before the show started, we were talking a little bit about what you're up to and potentially where any travels you might be doing and things like that. But tell us a little bit about that because I know I tell the audience where you're going, if you don't mind sharing and tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Like that's so awesome. It's so much of what we talk about on the show, living a life by design. And talk to us about that because I think it's important for others to hear about kind of how it came to be for you. Yeah. So we had baby number two a couple of months ago. And in California, they have this FEMLA rule or law where you're allowed 12 weeks leave. It doesn't have to be paid and it's not necessarily paid leave. And in medicine, most guys that have kids only take one to two weeks off and they go back to work. But for me, I'm taking the entire 12 weeks throughout the first year of the baby to spend time with family, even if the pay is slightly significantly decreased. But I do have some passive income like through syndications coming in to help with expenses. Yeah. And so we're for a month, we're going to go to Indonesia and Bali and Jakarta and Singapore for four weeks as part of the parental leave that we have. And I think I realized even it is just like the title of Life and Money Show, you know, life is not about just working as hard as you can and make a lot of money so you can enjoy when you're six years old and your kids went off to college. And I want to enjoy my time now. Some people have a saying where your 30s and 40s are your peak earning years. Mm-hmm. which equates to those are the times you should be working your butt off and mm-hmm. making as much money as you can. But for me, it's almost the opposite. That's the time where I'm in good health. My kids are young and that's the time for me to, I mean, obviously work, make a living, but mm-hmm. to enjoy life and travel and spend time with my family. So that's my model. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. 
Yeah. I just got chills as you were talking about yeah. that because it's everything that we talk oh, about. I'm so glad, so glad to hear that you're taking advantage of this time because the work will always be there, but this special time with your family only comes once in a lifetime. And so how great is it? I mean, think about if you had gone down, let's say that first rental property went okay for you. It wasn't so bad, but it was okay, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to buy another condo and another condo. And now you've got like, let's say five, eight condos. And now you're going on a trip. Think about the difference in the mindset there. And like, you'd have to be on call and maybe your property manager is trying to get a hold of you when you're on a train or traveling with your infant. And right? Versus, driving her life. I've like, done this. I've had this happen to me. <laughs> While she right? was a month in France, she was getting phone yeah. calls from a property manager in Huntsville. Like, and she's like, ah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And how different it is, right? For you now preparing to go on this trip and having all of your investments in syndications and having it be completely passive so you can enjoy that passive cash flow, but now focus on your family and what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No more riding the bike and like thinking. Yeah, of- that's <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's so awesome. I'm so excited to hear that stories like yours, John, that is why Annie and I get up every morning and leave our kids for the day. And we do is to get to hear stories like this and hear the impact and see the impact. Like how wild is that? That's so awesome. And just really excited for you. So yeah. Are you guys going to be traveling anymore beyond this? Or is this just this year kind of see how it goes because of the leave? Or is this going to be a new trend for you guys to take off and do vacations and things like that for longer periods what do you think? i think i mean i i'm switching jobs actually in july so after we come back i have two more weeks working then i have another three weeks off so we'll plan a longer trip but right. i think hopefully i go to do one of these long trips at least once every year and then wow. in three to five years i want to be working 0.8 fte or for basically 80 percent of 40 hours a week, so 32 hours a week on average as my full-time job. And that will allow me to have a lot more free time to do things like this or even small trips to Yosemite, things like that. Yeah, love Yosemite. We went there last year. It was my first time I had ever been there. And which is wild because I live, I've lived in Northern California for like 30 years, plus 30 years, 35 years and never went. But Yosemite is one of my favorite places to go. Well, that is so cool. I'm so excited. And it's so fun to have you on the show today, John. I still remember when I first met you on the internet and blessed and grateful to have you in our community. All right. We're going to move on to the last part of our show, the life and money show spotlight round, where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? I think it's taking care of myself, which is having a good diet and try to exercise a little bit every day or multiple times a week. And that's one way to also with busy family and little kids is sometimes, you know, you go a whole week and you haven't done anything for yourself and that can really add up and be mentally taxing. So I realized even 20, 30 minutes of exercise in the morning before everyone gets up, you feel like you accomplished something before other people have woken up and started the workday. So that's one thing that I'm doing intentionally for myself. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's such a good point. And I think with everything that we have going on in the world, filling our cup has been a topic within Good Egg as well. And for both Annie and I, as mothers and as entrepreneurs, trying to find that time and prioritize that time to take care of ourselves is tough. It's really hard to prioritize that. It's always like, I feel like I can't go sit on the couch. Like I got kids to feed, my husband needs me, I got work obligations. But what a difference it makes when you do take that time. And I also get up early in the morning. I feel like it's my own time to myself where you can have that peace and quiet, especially your kids in the ages they are. You need that time for sanity's sake. So I love that. So for anybody out there listening, try it for a week or two, prioritizing yourself and taking some time to meditate, taking some time to move your body, taking some time for hobbies and all that kind of fun stuff. I don't know if you do all that, but that's another thing I'm trying to get into too is finding time for creative stuff. So that's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, second question is around others, life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? Well, I think travel hacking with credit card points and bonuses you know, is one way that we've been able to really travel as the way we do and stay in nice places without spending as much. So me and my wife, we sign up for different credit card bonuses, pay them off, obviously. You know, for this trip to Bali, we're flying business class, Singapore Airlines, wow. $10,000 per person ticket, but we're using points to go in there completely free pretty much. So I think that's my travel hack. And, and just because tickets are expensive and hotels are expensive doesn't mean that you can't still go, you can't go places. Yeah. So real quick, top two favorite credit cards. American Express Platinum card. Okay. And then also we got the Capital One Venture X just for the points. And the mainly it's because if, for people that like to travel to Asia, Singapore Airlines is a transfer partner for like City Card, Chase, American Express, and Capital One. So you can get any of those different credit cards. It okay. all pulls into Singapore Airlines. Okay. I'm curious, why did you choose Capital One over the Chase Reserve? That's usually the one of most people's like top credit card in your life <laughs> for travel and dining and all that kind of stuff. Mainly the Chase Reserve, the sign-up bonus is a lot less now. It's only maybe like 50000 60000 and the Capital One, it's 100000 sign-up Ooh. points. That's I know a, what my next credit card is going to be then. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, just got the platinum, the Amex yeah. platinum, so that'll round out our portfolio and our wallets, Annie. All right. Well, that's, that's, awesome. that's so cool. Yeah. I got into that last year. We've done a couple of episodes on credit card hacking on the show and yeah, also paid for a bunch of stuff travel that we did last year too. So love that. Awesome. Okay. Well, last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? I will have to attribute my wife, Fania, to this. So she's uh, Indonesian, and then we use extra income that we have, and she uses it to fund schooling for kids in her village, for private school, and for kids to go to good high schools or nursing school or different vocational schools in her small village town where she grew up in Indonesia. I think that's something that she does for us and that I'm proud of. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing to have the chance to give back in such a meaningful way and to take your kids as they're growing up to show them the impact as well. That is absolutely incredible. Well, John, I know we've just skimmed the surface of all that you do, but tell our listeners if they want to follow what you're doing and what you're up to, what's the best place that they can go? 
Well, I have a Twitter handle called Acute Pain Jay-Z and Acute Pain Anesthesiologist. And I talk about different aspects of anesthesia and pain management, but also I like to talk about personal finance for people in medicine. I love it. Well, we'll have that for our listeners in the show notes. Dr. John Zhao, father, anesthesiologist, successful real estate investor, and of course, world traveler. Thank you so much, John, for being here with us and our listeners today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.